Kevin Brittingham. This is the 14th Q&S podcast. I'm here with Pete from the Firearms Blog, um, who fortunately lives pretty local to us here in the Seacoast, New Hampshire. Pete, how you doing? Hey, Kevin. Great. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah. So we're going to... Um, well, you're, you're welcome. It's always good to see you. Um, so Pete's had a lot of questions, and I think with the Firearm Blog being a pretty mainstream media... Um, it sounds like to me there's a lot of questions about ammo and 300 blackout, and you know it's interesting as I get a lot of questions through our social media every week. Um, I can't imagine what you guys get. Um, so we want to talk about 300 blackout and and how that happened, and uh, and I think this will be a bit untraditional for our podcast. Is I'm going to let you ask me questions and i'm going to give you every detail of every answer to the best of my recollection hopefully i think ethan will join us in a bit ethan lassard who was the head of my engineering when we did 300 blackout advanced armament my old company um then i'll try to answer it all yeah i think when uh, we started talking is that uh, we haven't uh, we realized that no one's really done a complete history of 300 blackout and um it would be great to get it right from the horse's mouth. So uh, yeah, let's start off with 300 Whisper. Um, how did? What was the history behind 300 Whisper, and and who developed that round? Well, JD Jones developed it um, back years before we did 300 Blackout, and I got in, interested in it when um, a buddy of mine, Johnny Nevesky, who now Nevesky Rifle Works, most people uh, have heard of. He was a big 300 Whisper fan, and he built me an upper probably five or six years before we did 300 Blackout, um, and I started shooting it. Is this before AAC, or is this uh, No, this dirty? is, I mean, I owned AAC, I started AAC in the mid-90s, so this is um, like mid-2000s. Johnny made me an upper because he had killed a big, um, a big bear with it and was asking me about it, and because we did the silencers, uh, he was interested in, in the cartridge, and he liked short barrel ARs. Um, so he made me an upper in 300 Whisper, and I still have it today, and sent it to me. He asked me to send him like a rail or something to put on it, and I did. Um, so I got that. I liked it a lot. I contacted J.D. Jones even back then before the, the military got involved and wanted to do... Um, had, had an idea, and I had a fellow named Tim Bixler... SCRC. He was a silencer maker and a, a real a great machinist and gunsmith who took a Remington 700 of mine and actually converted it to use AR mags. And I wanted to do those guns in 300 Whisper with integral silencers. <laughs> but J.D. Jones wanted $600 a barrel or to use the name 300 Whisper because... In ammo, you can't patent a round, but what you can, you know, you can, you can have like trademarks and copyrights on names and stuff like that. But when you submit it to Sammy, it's kind of open source. So, you know, Wildcat cartridges that guys come up with, like 300 Whisper, um, there are no real specifications for it that a manufacturer that makes guns or ammo can go and look up. Mm and know that it's within safe pressures and stuff like this without submitting it to Sammy. The downside is you give it up. You give up control. You, you don't own the name, so you know Glock can engrave the name on their gun or whatever without having to pay you anything. And JD wanted uh, $600, and it was unreasonable, and um, we had that discussion. For those that don't know, what is a Wildcat round? 
So a wildcat is something where there it's not been submitted to SAMI, which Ethan, what does that stand for? Sam? Sporting Arms and Ammunition Manufacturers Institute. But wildcat's pretty much anything that's not standardized. Yeah, not standardized. SAMI. Yeah, so in Europe they have a CIP, which I don't even know what that stands for, but it's another regulatory agency. But what it is 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 where they can establish what are safe pressures and loads for the round, and so manufacturers can stay within that, know how to chamber a gun uh, to be safe with the cartridge and stuff like this. So it gives you uh, basically drawings and a tolerance range to where you know you know where. Gun companies can chamber guns for your round, and it'll always be in a, a, a safe pressure range. Yeah, I do want to ask you more about that process yeah. when we come up. But um, so, what was when? When did you first talk to JD Jones about three hundred whisper? Do you remember? Uh, I can back it out. Let's see. We moved in because uh, I moved every two years at AAC. We were getting new buildings. Uh, 2010 is when we started this, so 2008 is when I moved to that building. 2006, I originally talked to J.D. Jones for the first time about it. Um, and that's that would have been when Johnny sent me the upper. And so going back to Johnny Noveski, did he like 300 Whisper because of the ballistic characteristics or because he liked to run subsonics and through silencers? Both. I think ballistically, out of a short gun, he liked the, the power for hunting. And um, where he lived in, on the Rogue River in uh, southern Oregon, um, from a topography standpoint, it is very similar to where we live here, you know, in New Hampshire and the Appalachians or, or down in Georgia at my farm is the same to here. So, you know, within 100 yards, close quarters, a lot of brush. Um, so he liked it for that. And then he was getting into silencers as he and I met. Um, he started doing a lot more with silencers, and I gave him a 30 caliber silencer, so it made a lot of sense to him. Um, so he was the first guy to kind of push me into it. Um, was he making his own barrels? Or he was, he, yeah. So he was chambering his own 300 whisper barrels yep. and, and guns. Yeah. And ARs or bolt guns? or uh, What he made me, I, I haven't seen, um, I never saw a bolt gun that he did, not to say he didn't do that. But at the time when, when Johnny and I first became friends, he wasn't building ARs. He was making barrels and he was building bolt guns. Um, but the time he sent me this, he had started making ARs. And I don't know if he sold ARs in 300, but he definitely made them. He was still kind of a custom shop, and you could order barrels from him, and um, he just built me an upper just like what he had for my AR, and sent it to me, and, and I put it on uh, an AR lower. Um, so, so he was a fan of it, um, you know, before I'd ever shot it. So when he was making um, 300 Whisper uppers, yeah. Could you walk into uh, a gun store and buy 300 Whisper off the shelf? No. Or was that only reloading and it was somebody... Maybe Corbon. I don't know when they started loading ammo. Um, but only Corbon, if they were even doing it then. But you probably had to load it yourself, would be my guess. Or you could get, you know, brass already sized from J.D. Jones. Um, has a, he had a company called SSD Industries or something like that. Um but he had a website, and you could order from him. Uh, but I don't think loaded ammo. But Corbon made ammo um, when we were going through the process of commercializing it. So at what point did you have that aha moment when uh, no, Johnny Noveski called you and t- started talking about 300 Whisper and that you're thinking that 
this could be something bigger than what it was. Well, I, I listened to him then. The thing was, um, I'd stopped reloading ammo about five years before that. And um, so to, to me, it didn't make sense mainstream if you didn't have ammo available. So I didn't get super into it. And then the next moment was um, there was a Navy special warfare group that we were um, silencing their guns and working with them. And, uh, and I've told this story before. We were, we were there working on some silencers and guns for them. They showed me an AR chamber in 300 Whisper. And it was a longer barrel, though. But they had bought 10 or 20 or so of them, and only a few worked. But the guys who had them that they worked loved them because they had the power of the AK. And with silencers, they were extremely quiet. Um, so Remington was purchasing my company or just purchased it maybe about two. I don't remember. But they asked us if we were interested in looking at it. So when I had the aha moment was, you know, of course, this was a good friend of ours um, in a group that we really loved and supported. And they were a lot of our business, quite frankly. Um, but it seemed it's one of those things, you know, if you're paying attention in business, you can have a plan, but things pop up, you know, like in firearms, we see political things happen that affect the industry. But other times, if you're working with these groups that are kind of cutting edge and and have a, a lot of resources and the ability to kind of think outside the box, they bring you things too. And I think, you know, LaRue Tactical has been a good example of that. Um, Bill Geisley and his company, that's where a lot of that's come from. And, um, you know, we were approached by them and... Um, uh, one of the engineers loaded up a bunch of ammo in his basement. And after about two weeks of us shooting, like I made the connection to the commercial market and it being the modern 3030 and the ARs were very popular compared to 10 years before. And um, that this could really be something for us and it could be something for them um, where it would give them an advantage. Um, excuse me. So. You know, that's sort of how it happened for me. So they had that special group. Um, they had an upper chambered in 300 Whisper. Had they been talking to J.D. Jones? Yeah, they were working with him at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the problem with 300 Whisper is there's a couple things. All the projectiles. The great thing about 308, and I love 308, and uh, a lot of people that shoot do whether it's shooting targets because you have such a wide selection of 30 caliber bullets to choose from. So for your barrel length, barrel twist, what you're trying to do, there's a lot of options. Um, so that's really great. But the downside when you try to put it in an AR is it doesn't feed reliably because the ogive, the shape of the bullet is incorrect to feed in an M4 if you compare it to like a 5.56. And then also if you load 308 projectiles into that brass, there leaves room in the magazine. So when you have room fore and aft, bullets shift back and forth un under recoil, and that affects reliability. And that was a problem he was having. He was having to, he, he, he was constricted, JD is a brilliant guy. He was constricted by, number one, a failure to work with a, an ammo company, in my opinion. And because uh, the first thing we did was we got a Remington engineer to design bullets that were the right shape and length to take up the whole magazine. And this is even before AAC was bought out by Remington? No, this was during that time period. Time. So, um, you, you know, you think, like, it took me almost a year, the due diligence, where I went through the courting process to sell AAC to Remington. And in less, no, right over two, in two years after I sold, I was fired. 
So it was like a long, you know, it was three years, but only two years of them owning us. So, um, and Jason Emhoff, Remington didn't believe in it. They thought we were stupid. They laughed at us and uh, they assigned Jason Emhoff, a young engineer, to work with us to accomplish this, um, who, who now runs um, SIGS ammo and has done, you know, like their V-Crown and a lot of their new ammo. SIGS ammo is really great. Um, and that's because of Jason Emhoff. He was just a young guy that was really excited to do new stuff. And he's... Engineer? Yeah, engineer, passionate about ammunition, ha- has a great understanding of all things. You know, it's like when I talk to people about... 6.8 SPC, or you talk about 458 SOCOM, or other specialty rounds are great for killing. Right. And, you know, like I've killed deer with 6.8 um, pigs. I, I, I've not actually killed anything with 458 SOCOM or any of those cartridges, but I understand they're badass. But if you only get eight rounds in a magazine, or you have to open up the bolt face to where it becomes very fragile and is weak if you're trying to feed it out of an AR those are really the restrictions you know like Stoner came back later on and said you know had he if he had to do it all over again he wouldn't have done a straight mag well you know he would have curved the mag well because you need a full curved magazine when you start having 30 round mags and all so when, when you're trying to feed into an AR there's a lot of restrictions like I do not like 300 blackout better than 308 if we're talking about an all around killing cartridge I like that 300 Blackout guns are lighter. I like that 300 Blackout has a subsonic that is more consistent and more accurate than 308 subsonic. You know, and that that's just a, a byproduct of the case capacity. 300 Blackout's a lot less, so the SDs, the ammo, are a lot better. When you do subsonic 308, and all the 308 guns have 1 in 10, 1 in 11, 1 in 12 twist, so you can't run really heavy bullets because really heavy bullets you need to spin fast. Mm. So that's where, you know, like our honey badger here has a one in five twist. And if it weren't for some of the weaker projectiles, you know, we'd run a run one in three and get better accuracy out of the subsonic load. The, huh? <laughs> but, you know, the problem is like we had one this week. Um with a solid copper expanding subsonic out of our one in five that expanded out of the muzzle and destroyed one of our silencers. It's a prototype bullet, so like your listeners don't need to worry. But you know, Ethan got SIG to do one in five and we were there doing the MCX, and that's how you get accuracy out of the subsonic. And we're doing one in five here. Most companies do one in seven, one in eight. They can't get the accuracy we can get out of subsonic. Now, as time goes on, and we're working with companies to develop stronger subsonic expanding projectiles, we're going to tighten the twist up. Because, you know, like what Ethan and I want is to be able to get sub-MOA with subsonic, (laughs) which is is possible if we do the twist the same. Um, So that's going down a a rabbit hole. But... um, you know, 300 blackout, if you want a supersonic cartridge with a short barrel that can kill man-sized targets at several hundred meters, and you want the ability to shoot subsonic and it be quieter than the MP5 SD, 300 blackout's the best cartridge in the world. If you're talking about fitting it into an AR-15. If you're starting from scratch, maybe it's not. Or if you want primarily supersonic, yeah. 99% supersonic, it's not your best cartridge. You know, 308 would be better. But... When you, when you weigh all of these things, can we make a four-and-a-half-pound three oh eight that shoots both and is a machine gun? No, we can't. We right. can't make a 300 Blackout in that, though. And 300 Blackout supersonic ammo, unlike most other supersonic cartridges like 308, um, 
is designed to give terminal performance out of short barrels. You, you know, for instance, 308 short guns are becoming very popular. If you want a 14 inch, 13 inch 308, it's stupid with a lot of traditional projectiles because they're designed to expand at higher velocities. But you can take 300 blackout Barnes 110 bullets, which are fucking awesome. You put them in a three, load them in your 308 with your 12 and a half, 13 inch barrel, and you know the lower velocities of that, they perform amazingly well. <laughs> so it's all a balancing act that people don't think. Like a lot, a lot of people who I know who aren't real into it, you think, oh, somebody designs an expanding bullet, so it expands. Right. Well, if they design it to expand at the velocities of a 26 inch barrel, it's probably not worth the shit out of a 16 inch barrel. Sure. And so you got to balance all these things. Yeah, I do want to go back to J.D. Jones, but yeah. um, the question I had later on was, what is that sweet spot when it comes to 300 blackout for barrel length? If you want to switch between subsonic and supersonic, and you want to own one 300 blackout AR, where's the sweet spot for barrel length? Oh, you know, I don't know. Like, I've killed... Like that pig you see down there in the kitchen is a 710-pound pig I shot with a three hundred, uh, six and three-quarter inch three-inch blackout. Um, you know, the Barnes 110 was designed for a nine-inch barrel, but that was picked by the Navy for reasons that storage reasons actually. So, <laughs> so it doesn't. That's doesn't a story matter. in itself. Yeah, but I think anywhere between probably that six and three-quarter inch and twelve and a half inch. Like is really great. It's kind of like 22. What's the best barrel length for 22 long rifle? It's probably between 10 and 14 inches. Sure. Um, That's not what you want to do. Yeah, what you want to do. I, I mean, I, I've killed a lot of animals with really short 300 blackout, and then I've had some shots that I probably would have taken if I had a 12 inch. But anything yeah, in there you, is good. If you want to have supersonic lethality at like 300, 350, mm-hmm. 12 inch barrel makes a lot of sense. Yeah. If you want to be in and out of a vehicle and you're okay with like 100, 150, six and three quarters, seven inch barrels, great. Yeah. Yeah, I think when you go below six and three quarter, it starts to get very questionable just because most of the bullet, I mean, not to say Barnes or discrete ballistics or Hornady couldn't develop a projectile that's good for those velocities. Um, but I mean, seven inches, I mean, you've handled a honey badger and stuff. It, 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 like, that's a great size gun in and out of a vehicle, which, you know, even, even my, you know, me being an operator at my farm, getting in and out of my Jeep and my Polaris, <laughs> it's like, you know, like I ride a dirt bike with one slung. Right. Uh, on, on, not even on my back, like on my front, I can stop and shoot quick. The guns, the guns, just very, very you okay. The hurt. <laughs> the guns very handy, yeah. and it's and it's lethal. Um, you know, going long with the barrel with subsonic doesn't hurt you, um, and going long with the barrel helps you with supersonic typically, um, but you're not at a real disadvantage with a nine inch barrel over 12 and a half all around so it's you know i don't i don't, I don't what do you equate this to like what do we have the, different the long, shoes or no, what do you have in life basically the longer the shot you want to make the longer the barrel should be yeah that's true but you see i mean that's For velocity reasons or is well, it stability yeah. or is hit, it velocity probability. Well, hit probability and velocity are correlated yeah i mean yeah so basically if you have a moving target yeah the faster you can get there the 
greater your hit probability will be. Yeah. So like, let's say your target decides, like, let's say it's a two and a half second flight time, and your target decides to stop, turn around, do a jumping jack. <laughs> like, once once the bullet leaves the muzzle, you can't control it. Right. So yeah, and you I better mean, hope it's going to meet your target. I mean, and not at just the same time. well, not just time, but with, with that in mind, also you know your bullet drop. So that's not very hard with modern optics and, and uh, reticles and stuff and range finders to be able to determine your drop. Your drop is going to be consistent. Wind, it, it can be a bitch, and that can affect your shots. Um, but, yeah, I, mean, I think Ethan's right. The longer the shot you want to make, the longer the barrel. Like, um, but does a 16-inch 300 blackout make sense? Like... It's cool if you want to shoot subsonic. You might have to shoot a few hundred yards and shoot a deer, and you want your kids to be able to shoot it and you want to not have a lot of recoil. Have an SPR. Yeah, you but know. Like, that's why. That's why there's a lot of 16 inch 300 blackouts. Well, let's say Kevin or Kevin or Ethan want to build the Swiss Army knife of 300 blackout semi-automatic gun. What's your barrel length? What are you picking? Depends on where you're fighting. Let's I'm, say 300 and then. 300 in it's 9, 10, 11, 12 with yeah. just a <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would probably even go with 9-inch. Um, but, you know, I never know. Like, uh, a, a buddy of mine, um, Ben Atkinson, who's a sweetheart I love a lot, we have a... Um, Baby dick, though. <laughs> <laughs> we'll beep that out. Poor Ben. But he, he lives in Alabama. He and I have a, a, a lease, a 900-acre lease in Alabama. And on the lease, like, Ethan and I shot a deer at 400 yards or so this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a long shot. But he lives on a horse farm a town away, 150 acres or so. And you can only bow hunt. But he lets me hunt with subsonic 300 blackout. So like on there, I want the shortest. Like I don't, I've not made a shot over a hundred yards. So I want like a, a little barrel. I tend to go with the nine inch, um, but a, a ten or twelve inch barrel somewhere in there. Like the seven inch with the honey badger, that's kind of a purpose built gun to me. That's hundred and fifty yards and in. Not to say that you know, with a little practice, you can't center punch somebody at two hundred and fifty yards every shot with it. But if I knew I were gonna shoot someone over 150 yards that could possibly shoot back i would want a longer barrel or a thrill if it yeah or three it. yeah but if it's a if it's pigs or something i want the short light gun to me yeah like i don't there is that balance between you know the host size versus velocity and what you're suppression at. what you're shooting at versus how far away it is yeah because that's the big problem with 308 to me i love 308 for killing but the guns are all big and heavy for the most part sure and so, you know, and especially in gas guns, like I've got a couple lightweight. Well, our Johnny built me a, a six-pound 308 bolt gun that I is based on. A, it's a model, um, a model 600 um, that he built me 15 years ago that I still love and everyone loves it. The gun's lightweight and awesome, and um, and the fix our rifle is compact and lightweight, but in a gas gun. You know, there's no six pound 308 gas gun. No. Um, yeah, no. Shoot. Yeah, you know, it would suck. So. Well, um, let me rewind you a bit. So, okay. um, NSWG comes to you and they're talking about Whisper 
Yeah. Do you go back to J.D. Jones and start talking about how you can collaborate, or what happens then? We, I wouldn't call it a conversation, but we had one brief talk about it, and um, he. We looked at seven sixty two by thirty nine too. Yeah, we looked at that, um, but he was just uninterested. Like he wanted control. I don't think. I I, I I don't know his reasoning, but he was uninterested. And, you know, to me, like my due diligence, you can't own a cartridge. And uh, this was an opportunity for him to really, I think, grow his company and get a lot of recognition. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, he ended up selling a whole lot more Whisper as a result of me doing this. Because if you think, for several years, Hornady, they didn't do 300 Blackout, even though they made, Remington wouldn't make my bullets originally. Hornady made them, mm. even though Remington owned my company. Um, so Hornady's always been a little more forward thinking. But uh, they make stuff for Remington. But Remington's also obviously a competitor. And sure. much more at the time than now, 10 years later, I don't think Remington Ammo is a competitor for Hornady in my opinion um, and that's tipping my hat to Hornady that's not sure um, but theirs was marked Whisper for a long time like they weren't going to market 300 Blackout and that's a relatively new thing within the last two or three years when you say theirs you talking about Hornady Hornady's or? Ammo yeah okay. even after Sammy or yeah after Sammy they didn't do it you know hmm. because I Remington told us they wouldn't make ammo for us unless we got a military contract, which was really just an asshole move, which explains why Remington's such a shit company now. Anyway, this kind of culture, because <clears throat> I'm, you know, my thing was, well, how do we get a military contract if we don't have ammo? You know, and they just kind of said, fuck you. And um, so we loaded, hand loaded ammo at AAC, well, one of the engineers' basements, and got a million round military contract. <laughs> And then, you know, and I've said this recently in a podcast, but I was suspended by Remington for 30 days and investigated for bribing the military. Because of your development of that round? Because we got a military contract and they thought it was impossible (laughs) because they didn't load us ammo and that we loaded in our basement. So I must have paid someone off, Um, you know, which foreshadowed a lot of stuff with Remington. but you know that's the that's the way some big companies try to do business, and that's the way they treat people and whatever. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I guess I'm laughing, but uh, you know it's sad. Um, but Horny made ammo, so then once there was that military contract, uh, Remington Cerberus executive stepped in and shut down Hornady for making our stuff, and Remington made it, and um, and we just. You know, it was a nightmare dealing with Remington. Not a patent dispute, but was it a trademark dispute or anything? No, like there was no dispute other than, you know, it's like Remington. They get to pick pens. Yeah, being a bunch of bastards, mm. you know, it was humiliating for them for Horny to make our ammo for this new contract after they had told me to go screw myself, you know. And, and but, you know, people don't realize, and still to this day, Horny makes all the tipped bullets for Remington. All of them. Yeah, so like, okay. you know, Remington, I mean, they were just real two-faced and hypocritical and full of shit. And, um, you know, they made some good loads. They made a UMC, what, a 220 or a 222 load or a 210? No, the, the, what was that load? There? They did a 220 bullet instead of the Sierra bullet. Yeah. Like, it was a really good bullet. Yeah. You can't, I can't find it. Yeah, it's gone now, but they, they did don't some, make it anymore. Flat base. We don't think they do. Ultra tip flat base, 220. 
that was along with the right ogi that took yeah. up because their 125 bullet jason Hoff did was yeah. freaking great well, yeah the 125 and they did a 220 that matched it basically. 125 is a sierra. sierra and then they did a 220 that the same profile and all that was great subsonic and they sold it for a year or two and then it just kind of went away and that ammo was great but you know it's like Barnes started loading their when they were doing loaded ammo they were making it themselves at their at their factory where Barnes Utah or Idaho or somewhere Utah Utah and that ammo was great all that Barnes 110 ammo but then you know the Remington ammo engine you know the guy in charge of the ammo factory was getting heat from Cerberus like why do we have this, you know, multi-million dollar ammo facility and you got little barns making, loading their own ammo? We need to consolidate, you know, that's their idea of consolidating things. And, uh, you know, like a year or two ago, I bought some barns, 110 off the shelf. I went to the store and bought it. Remington loaded it and there were different primers in 120 round box of ammo. I'm like, oh, I have no idea why the ammo is so inconsistent. <laughs> but, you know, th- th- these are problems. Um, that we face, but in the end, um, the military selected someone to load the ammo, inspect the components, and had someone they trust load the ammo. And uh, you know, and it's been officially adopted by the military. And so, stepping back a little bit, yeah. at, at the time, what was the difference in, let's say, terminal ballistics or lethality between five five six and seven six two by thirty nine? Why did they want to mimic? 762 well, by 39. 762, well, you know, we're shooting, we're, we're fighting in like Baghdad mm-hmm. in, in urban environments, so it's, mo- it's most mostly closer range, and most of the special operations units are using short barrels. They're not using, you know, 18, 20 inch barrels or even 14 inch barrels. So the 5.56 ammo isn't lethal um, nearly to the degree as is out of the longer barrel. And, um, they didn't have a subsonic option. Mm-hmm. And then 762 by 39 is much better for short range terminal ballistics. You know, a bigger bullet going fast, um, better for short range. But, you know, you can't feed 762 by 39 reliably into an M4 because you have to have a straight mag, at least for a portion. And then you have to open up the bolt face to where it becomes weak because the, the, the case head's bigger. Case is bigger, tapers more, there's yeah. more bolts. Yeah, that, that's why an AK, yeah, AK bol- uh, magazine is so curved. Mm-hmm. The cases are so tapered. And so what Ethan's saying, bolt thrust, is the case is super tapered. So when that thing unlocks, like it's just coming straight out. Where sure. five five six case, you know, it's a very slight taper on it. The mag should still be curved, but just a fraction of what uh, 7.62 by 39 mag should be. At the time when you were developing 300 Whisper, was there other contenders that were similar in ballistics but also capable of meeting the same requirements as 300 Whisper? Maybe, no. Who we looked at were 762 by 39 and 300 Whisper. The problem with 300 Whisper was there was 20-something chamber drawings when we were looking at it. Mm. it wasn't, the biggest problem is it wasn't standardized. And it was, all the subsonic was loaded for Thompson Center contenders. So <laughs> yeah. It wouldn't run a gas gun. Yeah, which, you know, like Ethan says, if you're a single shot, like, who gives a shit? But when you're running a gas, gas gun, gun, it's just sure. so much harder. You know, like a revolver to a semi-auto pistol and things like this, it becomes more difficult. Um, yeah, 762 by 39 potentially could have made sense in a different weapon platform. And the, the other problem with 762 by 39 was available bullets. Yeah, the, the bullets are very short. Action. 
well, subsonic bullet selection in a 308 uh, bullet, there are so many more options. Like a 220 match game that was off the shelf available. That's what all the first ammo was. Like it yeah. was a great bullet, off the shelf, fit in, did what it had to do. Very, very consistent. If you look at all the 312 diameter bullets, so like 760 by 39, there's not a lot of options. Mm. So it made it far less commercially viable, but it also really, really restricted what we could do quickly. Mm. So like getting that, like that first upper that went to jump, like, and he, he went with 220 mash games and he had the 123, those first bullets. Oh, the first, yeah, we actually first, used AK first, bullets for the first. Well, they, were, the they were 123 grain 308 bullets, which were basically AK bullets, but <laughs> 308 Yeah, it was an AK bullet that they <laughs> sized to, three, yeah. to 308. But. And then the, fir the first. Yeah, because I still have some of that. It doesn't feed. No. It's short, so in the magazine. And the first Navy ammo, Supersonic, was 155 flat base. Oh, oh, yeah, it was, wasn't it? Yeah. So it's basically about bullet availability bullet at the time. Bullet availability dropped yeah. a lot, and then a AR mags, like, because the, the original requirement was 30 caliber and a 416. <laughs> yeah. It was a 30 caliber cartridge that got fed through a 416 lower. Thir so that, 30 round mag. That so was, it, re it required a regular aluminum M4 M16 magazine. That was the original NSWG con like uh, requirement. Was that? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't. Like well, it wasn't a, a requirement. That's a good thing about these groups. This is basically they give us a bullet point of what they want. Sure. And we do something. I mean, this has been like our twenty-year career. We do something, and we try to get it all. And sometimes, like you, you just luck up and you can. And other times, you can get six out of nine things. And it's and, like, hey, I got these two options. I can do. These six or these five, which do you want? Yeah, and and they pick. Um, so I don't know. We've been we've been really good at that, and you know it's just interesting. I think by nature, being problem solvers, you know these sorts of things are interesting to us. And you know, and if it's stupid and doesn't make sense, like we want no part of it. Um, right. and most of the things that make a lot of sense, there's commercial viability to, and we can't ever bank long term on military because you know we're not you know would it be great for the army to pick the honey badger as a pdw for and buy a quarter of a million that'd be wonderful but <laughs> am i gonna like spend 15 years of my life trying to get them to do that like hell no um so these other groups that have some more latitude to sort of develop things um you know we can work with a little better and you know they have their hands aren't quite as tied and they can develop more things and you know we form relationships and you know there's trust involved and okay we think we can do these things and we're going to spend these next three or four months doing this and we'll let you know how it goes and um that works better but you know identifying on the front end once i spent a couple of weeks shooting 300 blackout and seeing the pop you know i think 10 years ago the popularity of the ar but when it comes to hunting and now seeing silencers so popular, it just, it was obvious to everyone except for Remington. <laughs> but one thing where Blackout, I think, was a huge success was we didn't try to own everything and make, you know, we're not trying to be the IRS of firearms. Like, I don't need to make, you know, five bucks a gun for every gun Ruger sells chambered in this. Like, I just want you to make it and make the cartridge successful. Number one, it's great for us um, in a lot of ways, whether we just sell a silencer or recognition for innovation or whatever the thing is. 
Um, but also, if we believe in it, it's like we want to see it successful, even if it's nothing more than just an ego stroke for all the engineers here. Sure. Um, so I think that's a big difference in us and a lot. J.D. Jones or a lot of the gun companies, Remington would also probably be one. And with the new cartridge we're working on, 8.6 Creedmoor, you know, it's another thing. Or just like the Q-Cert system on our handguards, we'll open source it and give it to everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a great thing Magpul did. You know, which is closely correlated with MLOC. Yeah. Like, just make it available. Like, don't try to to own all the IP. You, you know, just just make the platform. Because you know, Magpul being an accessory company is just brilliant move by them, and I applaud them, and that's been great. And I think it's the same thing with ammo. You know, especially you see on the commercial market, AR is it being so cyclical based on primarily politics. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the fear of uh, gun legislation um, so you got a lot of companies now employ a lot of people who now you know aren't doing so well this is another thing like this 300 blackout gave some new breath to the AR-15 in my opinion on the commercial market and to silencers and to ammo companies and now I think uh, we have the possibility to do it with 8.6 Creedmoor which we've wanted to do since the first month we were doing 300 blackout <laughs> Um, and now we're having the availability and the the, the ability to do that with um, with with Hornet and some other guys, and uh, you know, shoot, I can't wait to see a, a, a Ruger All American in our new cartridge, or you know, a Sig Seven Sixteen or whoever it is that makes a good quality product. Um, yeah. So before we get into to what it takes to become Sammy certified or yeah. listed or however it's represented, yeah. what uh, how important was it to those special groups that you have the same bolt and magazine in an AR carbine that that also could run three hundred blackout versus five five six? How important was that feature to them? I. With, with the three main groups that are always unnamed, um, I don't know that it's that was that pop important to them. Okay. But you know what they want is when they do something that's really good and it's effective, they want like the white side of SOCOM to get it. Mm-hmm. Um, they know they don't have the ability to test and do these sorts of things the same way they do. And then they want Big Army to get it because when, you know, Big Army has it, then they get it for free and it's all over the world and these guys have better tools to work with as well. Um, but for them, I don't think the Bolt Mag was as important, but I think we knew for it to trickle down and then to transfer to the commercial market, that was very important. Like, there's a lot of Wildcat cartridges that, you know, I know uh, Jim Wilson did a... Uh, 762 by 40 or what was it? Bill. What's his name? Oh, Bill Jim's the sheriff guy. So whatever, Bill. Wilson Combat. They did their own cartridge and it's supersonic only. And it's it's better than 300 blackout and supersonic, but there is no subsonic option. So just because you can't, you know, it's ten. Yeah, it's like six eight, which I think six eight's a great killing cartridge with a 270 bullet. Um, but there's no subsonic option because the length you can't fit the same weight in the well, bullet. That's really, right. Really, well, the six eight is a small diameter too. The bore diameter. Mm. So you have to do a 110, 120 gram bullet, but it's so long, the standard twist won't stabilize it at a thousand psi. <laughs> yeah, and then when 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 Bill Wilson, Bill, 
did um and, he did, and I don't even know if he's still doing it, but seven six two by forty, and it is a better su- supersonic cartridge. Like he can load them hotter, but he's got no subsonic because the subsonic bullets won't fit. Um, so is that better? Well, like if all you want to do is shoot with supersonic, I mean, hell, I would you, I would just build the lightest three hundred eight I could probably. Six five Grendel. Yeah, six five Grendel is probably even a better cartridge than that. Like yeah, six five. Because I love six five. The downside to six five, like Ethan said, it's really hard to have subsonic loads mm-hmm. that are good. Subsonic. Yeah, well, you could do it, but it would you suck. And, and you know, and then when because you start talking, so long or because the bullet is so long mm-hmm. and it won't fit in the mag, and then you can't. There's not a twist fast enough, and then you can't have them expand. Like a small diameter rifle bullet is hard to make that thing expand at subsonic mm-hmm. velocity. And then fine, you have a hundred and thirty, hundred and forty grain subsonic. Yeah, which is stupid. When like nine millimeters better at that point. Yeah. And, and you know, with 300 blackout, we got 220 grain. With 86 Creedmoor, we'll have over 100 grains more than that. With some of those, yeah, 300 and something. And just a step back, though. So, for a lot of the misconceptions, when it comes to twist rate, we're talking stability is more is for length and not for weight. Correct. Yes. Well, those are correlated. Well, but, yeah. Depending on the material. Yeah, for so a standard bullet. Yeah. So if you, like, if you just say... Heavier so, bullets typically get longer unless your bore diameter gets much bigger. Or you change okay. material. So if you say yeah. like a 200-grain bullet, in lead, it's really easy to stabilize. In copper, it's much harder to stabilize. Because the bullet, you know, copper's not as dense. It gets longer. Because I think a lot of our novice shooters think, well... Um, Bullet weight is what you worry about for stability, but actually it's bullet length. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and now, and it's, you know, and, and it's not too difficult with bullets because you basically have lead bullets or you have copper bullets. So it's it's not quite the variation, but um, yeah, I mean, we've seen some other stuff as well. But, you know, that, that's the thing. So with 6.5, you're never going to have a really good subsonic bullet. So I love 6.5 Creedmoor for several reasons. It recoils less than 308. It shoots flat. So 6.5 Creedmoor has a trajectory of 300 wind mag. You can almost use the dope for 300 wind mag with 6.5 Creedmoor. There's so no shit Yeah, your hit probability is way better. Um, it's less affected by wind. The Hornady ammo is phenomenal out of the box. So like Ethan said, there's no shit loads. Like you can buy 308, you know, when uh, federal gold medal match, which is phenomenal ammo, and you can buy S and B, which is a, a dog turd. Or 147 pull down reloads. Oh yeah, there's all this weird shit. That doesn't exist. So, so 6.5 and 6.5. That's where Hornady, I think, was successful. Was I think sort of in the same terms of 300 blackout. Like there was a commercial market, and it was a good round, and and people could. It's the same thing. Like 6.5 Creedmoor is a little more different than 300 Blackout and 300 Whisper, but it's Remington 260. Mm-hmm. They just shortened the case, made it more efficient, where you could load longer bullets, which are more popular now, um, into the magazine and into the actions. So where if you take a 260-link uh, case and load, you know, 143-grain ELDX, it's too long to fit in magazines. Um, or you get to move it way back and not have much power. Yeah, yeah. So you don't want the boat tail sitting way down in the case, which becomes inefficient. Or you do some non-sandy length mag and you hand load it. So yeah, it, it, it's it's it's, it's, it's always a thing. I mean, I tell you, if if you gave us twenty million dollars a day to develop a gun, mm-hmm. and you wanted 
It helped if me. you gave us the requirement, <laughs> if you, we'd spend a million dollars on your gun. But, uh, 18 million on the beach. It, yeah. But, you know, and he didn't have the requirements of an AR-15 magazine. Mm-hmm. You know, what we would develop would be way better than 300 Blackout. If we had to develop a cartridge and a gun that met the requirements of the Honey Badger, yep. let's say, but we didn't have the restriction of the magazine, you would get something way better. Um, but we're always working within, you know, developing a magazine is like the hardest thing there is, um, which a lot of people don't realize. So, but if the military has this mag and this is the standard, and we have to develop something that fits inside of that, or even on the commercial market now, like the AR craze of the last 10 years is going to affect our firearms industry for probably the next 50 or 60 years. Because everybody now, you know, when I was a kid and bought an AR, one out of 20 guys at the gun range had an AR. Now it's like every guy at the gun range has four ARs. <laughs> so I think you're going to see a lot more of this. Um, but I don't think we could do anything better. Excuse me. Even today, 10 years later, than 300 blackout for the M4 with the M4 Mac. All right. So let's say that um, you had a magic wand and you were able to tell the military that you're going to develop them a weapon and a cartridge, um, a platform. What would that cartridge look like? That you didn't have to be constrained by the current magazine. Depends on what they want to do. If you tell us you want to kill everything with inside 300 meters and you want to have super and subsonic, Mm -hmm. or if... 75% 75% of your shots are going to be at 800. You know, let's say if they said, hey, develop us a gun. We want to be able to have easy shots at 800, and we're going to kill everything. You know, that'll be 10% of the shots, and more than 50% are going to be inside of 300. We'd, develop, we'd probably develop, and, you know, like weight's important to us, and would probably develop the fix in 300 wind mag with a 16 inch barrel and it'd weigh six and a half pounds. Okay. You'd kill everything, you know. Let's say for infantry, like just a big army, you're going to develop a weapon and a cartridge that 90% of the, our war fighters are going to use. What, what would that bullet look like? I mean, I is, is subsonic a, a something to worry about? Like if it's not, like I love the 6.5 bullet. Like to me, I don't know for killing a human-sized how, how target. How you said three hundred? Well, I mean, because at three hundred, is it, it could even be three hundred blackout with a twelve-inch barrel. Three hundred supersonic only. It's like a four hundred, four hundred fifty grand. Uh, <laughs> it's, oh, it's, yeah. a, it's a it's a it's a big bullet out of a short barrel is what it is. Yeah. If there's no subsonic requirement and there's no nothing that says it's got to be able to. Have hit probability past like 350, 400. Like it's a much bigger bullet at a much smaller barrel. It's, it's all driven on requirements. I mean, it's not. I it's mean, a, it really is. It's a tough question because well, it's well, like you're baking, basically opening the door. It's like, what's your favorite music or right. who, who's the prettiest girl in the world? Well, honestly, the right. It depends on how big the unit size is. But if it's like five, 10, 20 guys, everybody has some big bore short barrel gun for up close. Then one or two, three guys has a has a gun that's able to go much farther, like a 16-inch 300 wind mag that's light enough that's their second gun. Yeah, see, I, I like so, that. If you got to be able to go out to 800, if you're only going to 300, like I don't know, with guys without doing a lot of training, with trainer blackout supersonic silhouettes at 300, 
Like they don't have to train a lot to be able to hit a silhouette every shot with 300. And if you want to say there's even less training, then you go to a fucking six five with an AR ten length gun. Yeah, it, 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 it yeah it depends on training. weight. What level yeah. Of training, like. yeah, training. But also, like, for me, like, I'm lazy. Like, I want a lightweight, compact gun. So I'll take, for me personally, I would take... A little bit more recoil. Yeah, I would take more recoil or other things to have a lighter gun. And some people aren't that way. Sure. But I don't know. You know, but I mean, of course, I love subsonic and really quiet stuff. So I like what Ethan's saying, too. Like, to me, shit, I love a forty-five seventy with, like, a 500-grain bullet going 1,000 feet a second. <laughs> like, it, it's all time and distance. Yeah, I mean. How right. much time do you have to set up for what distance you need? Yeah, as long as you as you can range things and you know the drop and, and you train enough to have a good understanding of wind. You know, that's where I like, like, fast stuff with 6.5 bullet or something. You don't have to worry about wind quite mm-hmm. as much. But if you have those options, like when you hit something with a 500 grain bullet, like it falls down. So that's like a really wonderful thing too. You don't even necessarily have to make the greatest shots. Um, yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't actually. I probably like 556 five, more than the average guy. Like I think it's a great cartridge. I think you know it was designed for a certain barrel length and all, and then over time. You know, we got short, short barrels. It didn't make sense for that cartridge, and that's kind of where the fall off was. But then subsonic, too, if you want subsonic, and when we get, you know, when we become so dominant as a military force, and especially our special operations, when we get in a lot of offensive actions, which may not be a gunfight, you know, and subsonic is very, very critical to a mission, for instance. You know that's a, that's a totally different thing. Like you can't, like we we're saying, you can't use six eight or six five. Sure. And what Ethan's saying makes a lot of sense. You can have a big bullet. You know, and and um, those are very effective. Well, you're hitting on a lot of the questions that I had coming up. Is that so? What is first of all? What would you say is the minimum barrel length for five five six? And depends on the ammo. If I got a barn Probably seventy grain, yeah. If I got a barn seventy grain bullet, ten inch barrel is good. Is it, okay to go? If if I if I don't, I want a fourteen or sixteen inch <laughs> barrel. If, I get, if I'm stuck with eight fifty five, I want twenty, and I gotta shoot something far. Twenty inch barrel is a minimum. Yeah, I mean, I think Marcus Luttrell is pretty happy he had an eighteen inch barrel in this gunfight. Wait, you what? Shooting eight fifty five? Well. No, I don't know. Oh, two sixty-two. Yeah. Um, It depends on the combination. Like there, there's only a magic barrel length if you get to pick your ammo. Right. Right. Really, or you get to pick your target. Like if I'm shooting still. Or distance. Distance, or if you're shooting a live target as opposed to still, like. I don't know. I I like having options, and I think that is one thing that 300 Blackout provides you is options. Where five five six, especially with some of the military groups, they don't have options like they have one ammunition. Sure. Um, so, so when you think of five five six, what do you think the longevity is for that? As far as big, big, it's it's sticking around for the foreseeable future. I, I don't think it should, um, but I think it will. I mean, I know. The guy who was in charge of adopting it for one of the special operations groups, he was one of my biggest naysayers with 300 Blackout, and that's the group we developed the Honey Badger for. And he called me right before he was retiring because he was very critical of us and what we were trying to do. But he's a very smart guy. Why was why was he critical? Um, I think they had developed um, a bullet that was effective for their 5.56 guns, 
and um, he was an older SF guy who had evolved into his position, and he had never really worked with subsonic ammo other than the MP5SD. And he probably thought it was kind of gimmicky, but once they did ammunition testing and they ran a program and they were adopting a gun and 300 Blackout, and they're the reason 300 Blackout really happened in the end. He called me before he retired and says, I want you to hear it from me. So, like, I was one of your biggest, um, you know, naysayers, and there won't be 556 five, in our building in five years from now. And, uh, oh. and um, you know, it's a group, too. I mean, this was almost 10 years ago. I had Knight's Armament build two SR-25s with 18-inch barrels that weigh a pound more than an M4, and they're in 260 Remington, mm-hmm. because I thought it made way more sense for special operations group who didn't have to rely on, like, NATO ammo and stuff to have a gun that was that lightweight where they could shoot 800 meters and half the recoil and all this stuff. It made more sense than 308. Sure. And, um, you know, now they're going to it um, as a result of this. And this was before 6.5 was being loaded loaded by Hornady and stuff. Um, and I picked 260. Uh, but I think, you know, if you start from scratch, um, you know, what guys should have is probably a little a little small 300 blackout, the 7-inch barrel, something like the Honey Badger. They should have a little SR-25 that is a lightweight gun in 260 or 6.5 Creedmoor. And then they should have like a lightweight 300 Win Mag bolt gun. And then, you know, if they're going to shoot 1,500 meters and they have maybe the heavy-ass 338 Lapua Magnum or a 300 Norma Mag, it, it seems to all make sense to me. <laughs> like if I'm shooting over 150 yards, can I do, make a shot with 300 blackout? Yeah, I can. Would I like it better if it were 260 or 65 or 308? Yeah, I would like that much better. <laughs> but even when when I go to 400, like I can make a shot. Like any guy that shoots, you know, that shoots regularly, a 400 yard shot with a 16 inch 308 is not difficult. Um, but would I rather have a 300 Win Mag? Like shit, yeah. And if you've ever killed stuff, and when you shoot kill something with five five six. It dies. That's awesome. You shoot it with 308, falls down instantly. You know you're good. 300 wind mag will be the nastiest wound you've ever seen. And so, like, that's kind of the progression of things I would want. Like, I want to know where I'm operating. Like, you know, I hunt a lot. So I really study where I'm going hunting, what my potential for shots are, and all these things. And I take guns that correlate with that. Not only guns, but optics. Like, I like red dots. If I'm shooting 100 yards and in, I use a red dot. If I have the potential to shoot over 100, I use a 1 to 6 or a 1 to 8. If I know it's over 200, I have a 3 to 18 on it. If I know it's over 400, you know, I got a a 25 power optic. Um, I think it's sort of the same thing. Um, Let's see. Let's talk about silencer design a little bit. Obviously, yeah. you were developing 7.62 silencers before you were shooting 300 Whisper or 300 Blackout. Mm-hmm. What, what changed in baffle design when you went from um, developing silencers for 300 Blackout, whether it be subsonic or supersonic? What's the, what's the design change there? Well, I think with 308 to 300, there's a couple things. There's a subsonic variant and a subsonic, you know, the gas velocities and stuff it, it's a different baffle design 
um, and a different durability requirement. And when we're making compact guns, we want super lightweight silencers. Um, it just depends. Like, it's all a moving target. Uh, we make all of our 30 caliber silencers now be good for 300 blackout subsonic all the way to 300 Norma Mag. So there's compromise involved. And I think that's the nature of this whole thing. Um, there are people who get super hardcore about one thing or one ammo. Um, you know, if I know all I'm going to do is shoot 300 Norma Mag the rest of my life, that's a different baffle shape and design construction material probably. Um, and then I also, like with supersonic, supersonics are so loud. I just want it to not hurt my ears or I don't want to notice the shot when I shoot. Oh. Other than that, I don't give a shit. Other than that, I want it compact and lightweight. With subsonic, if I know I'm going to potentially shoot subsonic, the reason for subsonic is for it to be silent. So I want the quietest thing possible. Sometimes that's a number of baffles. Sometimes that's a diameter. Sometimes that's a shape of a baffle. Um, you know, if accuracy, accuracy is the absolute most important, which we've been really into the last few years, then that's a different baffle design. When you look into your silencers, and I see some, we have competitor silencers here, and the blast baffle has a step or it's asymmetric, you're not going to get the best accuracy you could get. You're not going to get the least point of impact shift you could get, but you will get sound performance. Not to interrupt you, but why is that? Well, you're pushing the gas away from it. it the, you're pushing the gas asymmetrically, so you're pushing the bullet essentially in a in a direction. Sure. Um, so generally, the, if you want the best accuracy, the first thing the bullet goes through and the last thing it goes through, you want to be completely symmetrical. Mm -hmm. That'll cost you sound performance because the way you get sound performance is to strip the gases off the bullet and have them go into the outside of the silencer and swirl. And uh, you do that by having scoops or cuts or asymmetric features in the baffle. Um, you know, we've learned all this kind of the hard way over the years working with these groups where we're trying to make the, you know, for 15 years I chased the quietest thing. But do we make the quietest silencers now? Probably. If we don't with a given silencer, it's in the top two or three. Um, but... Did we make the best silencer? I think absolutely. But what are we balancing? Are we weight, size, accuracy, point of impact shift, sound, durability, mounting system? You know, because it's funny, the other day we're working on our 5.56 can now, and Brian, engineer that's working on it primarily with Ethan, brings it to me, and it feels a little heavy to me. But 5.56 requires greater durability because people are using them on short barrel guns and shooting a lot ARs and you know the ammo again is made for long barrels so there's a lot of unburnt powder so the erosion is very bad the silencers have to be very tough and durable sure so the silencers end up being a different material and end up being heavier and I'm like oh well it feels about the same as this Yankee Hill can which is like the best selling 223 can right now in the commercial market great value they're doing a good job and he's like yeah but okay here's their mount and here's our mount and their muzzle device weighs two and a half times what ours weighs. So ours weighs one and three quarter ounces. Theirs weighs like, you know, just over four ounces. Yeah. And it's like, well, shit. I mean, that's really a system that we're putting together. So our can is, you know, 15% lighter than theirs altogether. Well, okay, so you're right, you know. Um, I've got to pass real quick. <laughs> Pause real quick. 
Um, if we can go back real quick to Sammy, how, what was the how bad was that um, that battle to get 300 blackout Sammy listed or Sammy certified or? Is it not hard at all. No, What's the just, process you, there? You just have to have, I don't, you have to have someone who's a member submit it. And like an actual member, Sammy, not like an associate member, but a real, like an actual member. So there's 20 or 30 companies, they're all ammunition or firearms manufacturers, so they can submit a drawing. It goes for review through the board. Yeah, I think that's twice a year you can submit or something. So when was it Remington for you or was it Hornady yeah. for you? No, Remington did it. And how how uh, was that a hard fight to get them to submit then the the round? The <laughs> At that point, no. They would have never done it, but once Hornady was going to do it and yeah. <laughs> was making the stuff, they decided it was a good idea. <laughs> yeah. So how long did it take between submission of, did you have to submit a certain number of rounds or? No, you don't, it's just a drawing. Just right? drawing. Just drawing, that's it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like, so it wasn't care. long. Yeah, they, they, they don't care if it's a good idea or a bad idea. All they do is make sure that it's a standard. So if you make ammunition or if you make a firearm, if you make it to a 300 blackout standard, yep. any ammo that's a Sammy ammo and any gun that's a Sammy gun, it all it's all just for compatibility sake with saying certain so, pressures well there's a maximum pressure yep. there's no minimum it's just you don't exceed this pressure you don't go outside of these dimensions it's interoperable at that point yeah which you know it's something i thought of earlier it's something we want to do with muzzle threads too and even with the taper you know we originally put the taper ethan did it on the the honey badger advanced armament and then we took that to sig and it's on a lot of their new guns and we're doing it here um you know and again it's like 300 blackout it's not the best way to do it but if you want to stay reverse compatible with the the standard and i'm using the the air quotes <laughs> standard threads in the industry now it's the best way to do it because the best way would be to have the taper and then the threads behind it. But then it wouldn't be reverse compatible with 5.8's 24, which is kind of the standard for 308 and 65 Creedmoor guns now, and half 28, which is the standard for uh, 5.56, and you know, 300 blackouts also 5.8's 24. Um, so it's reverse compatible with all those products and guns. But, you know, geez, I wish we could submit that and make it a standard for all gun companies, because it would make all the gun companies' products better, and it would make, you know, a better experience for consumers because, you know, they would have the ability to have taper accessories and have better alignment and, you know, thread mount silencers that don't come loose so you don't need all this fast-attached crap and guys having to spend 75 to 150 bucks for muzzle devices. Um, Is there a governing body now for muzzle attachments? That ASA should have been. Yeah, yeah, ASA. They should have done a lot of things. We wanted them to regulate like sound um like db readings that companies uh advertise and muzzle threads this is something they should have done and when i started it before uh you know remington and josh waldron who was recently thrown out of uh silencer co he and i started asa together and these were my goals his goals were all more kind of political stuff which is you know, the NRA was already on, and they're the reason all these states have adopted um, hunting with silencers. But I wanted it to be a regulatory agency for that kind of stuff, or not agency, but like a body that you would go to that be recognized by the industry and supported by the industry to do things for the common good of the industry, and most importantly, the customers, the consumers. Um, but yeah, they've not done anything. 
So, so outside of muzzle threads and muzzle devices, stuff like that, what else would you have standardized when it comes to silencers when it, for host weapons? Anything else that um, that would that would benefit from? I mean, that? I just think there should be a rating system. You know, if the silencer's durability, like if it's welded, material selection, uh, bore size over the projectile mm-hmm. um, would be important. Um, if the bores are EDM'd, uh, sound suppression. You know, you could even do everything back pressure if the silencer's for a gas gun. You know, the idea was you'd have to submit two or three samples of a silencer and it would be actually tested and there would be some sort of rating and it would go into these categories and be easy for a consumer to choose. And there wouldn't be the marketing bullshit of, oh, you know, like I say we have the best silencers. I believe we do. And it's based on 25 years of a lot of testing and engineering and winning contracts and all these other things. Um, But I would love everyone to be held to the standard that I hold us to um, and let a consumer make a reasonable choice. Now, are we the right silencer for everybody? Like if all you guys... 300 bucks plus a tax stamp there's probably a silencer that's better than not having one out there and i'm fine with that like i love yankee hill being in the business um i love surefire being in the business i love there being competitors and choices for individuals but there should be an easy way for a consumer just like silencer shop has made the kiosk and buying a silencer really easy and easy to understand for the consumer because we didn't really get the distributor and dealer support in that regard there should also be that for how do you pick a silencer because you know shit 10 years ago there's five or ten silencer companies now there's a hundred like i don't i don't know like i see stuff on your blog every week that i have never even heard of sure um so it's got to be confusing so that should have been the regulatory sort of guide for this and hopefully one day it will be and we talked a little bit about off of the the podcast here about meter numbers and and decibels and all that if you had to pick a standard when it comes to measuring or comparing or uh you know uh some way to compare silencers between each other when it comes to decibel ratings what would you pick? Would you go after the at-ear metering numbers, or would you yeah. go after some other kind of standard? No, at-ear. I mean, it may. I mean, for military, it makes sense too, but they would have a bigger argument for maybe readings at the muzzle. But um, for consumer commercial silencers, at-ear, especially if we're trying to, you know, the Hearing Protection Act. If we're worried about preserving hearing, it should be at the shooter's ear. Um, you know, like we run a very generous bore through our silencers. We could get better sound reduction mill standard because mill standard um, decibel measuring is one meter left of the muzzle. Well, that's if we run a really tight bore through our silencers, we get better readings there. Sure. But if you do that, then you're holding more gas as you're shoving them back through the bore. They're coming right out the shooter's ear in a gas gun. Sure. So it's worse for the shooter. Um, so I think shooter's ear is most important. I mean, I chased sound for 15 years. For Ethan and I to make quiet silencers is not a difficult task. Making it quiet at the shooter's ear, um, focusing on that and accuracy and durability and all these other things, simple, lightweight. Uh, you, you know, mill standard testing to me is like number 10 on the list of 10 things that we are concerned about. It's good to know. Yeah. So are there manufacturers out there that if we switch to a metering at the ear, 
and they they would be claiming hearing safe, and we switched to to oh. at the ear. Would they quote unquote? using your air quotes again, <laughs> would they be hearing safe still if we No, I mean, it would be a bad day for Surefire. Um, it would be a bad day for these companies. Most companies that run inch-and-a-half diameter silencers, um, you know, Griffin Armament, their stuff sucks at the shooter's ear, small diameter, small bore to try to get good readings. Um, I mean, most of this, I mean, most silencer companies are still running inch-and-a-half diameter rifle silencers. It would be worse for them. So, is it your feeling that volume is king then when it comes to silencers and suppression at the ear? Well, volume's king for sound in general if we're trying to reduce it. But, uh, yeah, and especially on gas guns. Like, we get a better tone, a better sound on bolt guns. But with gas guns, we have 50% more volume for a given length sure. generally than, than our competitors. You know, on gas guns, even without modifying baffle designs a lot, that combined with a generous bore through the silencer for the bullet to pass, we're getting a lot less pressure, which is really sound at the shooter's ear, than, you know, competitive silencers. So, I mean, we're we're doing things the best I know how to do them now based on 25 years' experience. You know, and advanced armament was... You know, it was the 800-pound gorilla at the time I sold it. I mean, and we've learned a ton since then. We're not worse at our jobs. Like, Ethan's not getting dumber. (laughs) Um, You know, and he's got a great team now. We're doing things way better. And, you know, and this was very different. We're not chasing military stuff with this company. I think this is sort of like the early retirement for me and Ethan. Um, We're sort of the commercial market and doing things that we want to do the way we think they should be done. And not to say we don't value the military and appreciate that business now and work towards those things, but it's not the focus. Like we're trying to develop things independently of everyone that we would want given any circumstance we're in that is better than anything that's available currently now. Um, so that's a really broad thing. That reminded me of Say Anything with John Cusack. But, uh, I, th- I think that's, that's sort of where it's at. Um, you know, I don't want a committee making a requirement for, for me. Um, we, we should have enough experience and smart guys here to, to be able to see the landscape and, and sort of be a couple steps ahead. I expect it out of us. Um, and I don't accept anything less, and I, I think the products so far are really speaking to that. Yeah, we talked a little bit about what's coming up for Q and the pistol caliber Erector. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. And uh, 5.56 five, uh, silencers. Yeah. Um, you know, you definitely you're in the 300 blackout camp and started the camp. Uh, yeah. Do you ever see Q making a pistol caliber carbine? You know, I don't know. We've talked about it with the Honey Badger. Um, You know, like, I think pistol caliber carbines are stupid. (laughs) But I see with just straight commercial stuff and ammunition and shooting, there's a huge market for it. So does it make sense for us to go there? I don't know. But it's at least become a topic of discussion in our meetings here. Uh, with the honey badger um, but then it's like well what mag do we take do we need to design a magazine does it take an mp5 mag does it take a glock mag should we not do it should we spend that time on something else um, they're fun to shoot especially if you have one that you know a nine millimeter with subsonic ammo and a silencer um, that gets me excited because it was the mp5 sd my kids 
that was all their first like love affair with firearms um, just like mine was and uh, now they're in the 300 blackout because they hunt and stuff as well so their guns are quiet and they can kill stuff with them with supersonic ammo um, you know maybe I think we do that I think long range hunting doing the fix in 300 wind mag with Magpul making the AI mags for WinMag, that makes sense for us now. Even though it's a relatively small market, we're a small company, and I kind of want to stay this way. So that makes sense. 8.6 Creedmoor, which is a, a cartridge we've, you know, sort of alluded to a lot, which is a 6.5 Creedmoor, excuse me, case shortened up and blown out to 3.38, um, where you can have Super and Subsonic out of a 308 base gun is great for the commercial market and there's also military viability in that cartridge and it's great for ammo companies like we said other gun companies silencer companies you know so great is it is before we did 300 blackout 556 silencers on the commercial market sold 10 to 1 over 308 now it's about opposite because of 300 blackout there are no 338 silencers on the market really there's just a handful SIG makes a good one. Uh, Ethan and I did it at SIG. Uh, the Titan that we did at AAC is a cool one. That's 10 years old. Uh, Thunder Beast Arms has one. But th- th- very low volume. But this new cartridge will require a silencer for that. So that's also good for the silencer industry. And it's great for hunting white-tailed deer and hunting pigs and stuff like that. You can do it in gas guns and bolt guns. That's cool. Um, what else are we doing? We got a bipod coming out. Um, you know, now it's kind of we're not gaming things a lot. Kind of like as it comes up, problems we need to solve, we work on it. Whether it's an internal problem we're having with a gun and a vendor, or it's a it's a you know just a, a, a bigger market thing that that we see at the time. Um, you know, I think it'll be like I want to do a gas gun for us, but I think that's going to be two or three years, and I'm totally fine with that. We got the mini fix coming out, which is cool. There's a lot of excitement behind that mini fix. Yeah, a lot of people talking about that. Yeah, so M4 magazine and our bolt gun, which will the thing will weigh next to nothing, so you can have a long barrel and like a 224 Valkyrie. I look forward to a 16-inch 6.5 Grendel, honestly. <laughs> but then the 8-inch 300 Blackout with an arm brace that looks very similar to our stock on the fix now that still side folds. That's a cool gun. I'm excited about that. As we talked about that, you know, how's the market going to react to a short barrel bolt gun that's $2,600? Like, I don't know. Um, I mean, I think we'll sell the first however many regardless. Uh but it's a gun I would buy. Like, I'm excited about it. The gun is useful. And, you know, we're trying... I think we've built so far here where I stay excited about it. it there's not a lot of marketing and a lot of... Although we're kind of a, a niche company overall. But the guns are just utility guns. Like, the Honey Badger is very useful. You know, although it was designed for the most... The smallest, most elite group in the world to replace their MP5 SDs. The gun, if you have a ranch or you pig hunt or ride around your truck, the gun is so handy because you can shoot from five yards to 350 yards with the gun and be mm. accurate. Uh, you know, and the fix is kind of the same way. It's a lightweight gun you can hunt with in the eastern United States from a tree stand. You can go out west and hump the gun if you're doing stalks. 
the gun's very useful. Um, yeah, I think that everybody that missed the boat when it comes to the full-size fix will be jumping on the mini-fix, to be honest. Oh, I hope so. Yeah. You know, and hopefully it can, like, I think the 6.5 Grendel's a great cartridge. Maybe it breathes life into that. And maybe this little compact, lightweight bolt gun, you know, there's new cartridges developed for it. Um, I don't know. Um but I'm excited about it. I mean, I know I'll use it in a practical sense. Um, you know, it's it's funny because we get hung up with PRS shooters and that whole thing, which is cool, and we learn a lot from that or bench rest. But that's like such a small percentage of guys. Like I'm neither I'm neither of those guys. Right. You know, I, I'm a guy that works at a gun company. That uh, you know, I'm fortunate. I got a farm and I hunt, and you know, like my guns are very practical. Like I've got a gun collection, but the ones that I use are. You know, I got half a dozen guns, and it's either silence 22s, a couple bolt-action rifles, and then some gas guns, and it's all for, like, either daytime or nighttime killing stuff. <laughs> I mean, that's just what I use, you know? So I can't get excited about anything that's not practical for any of that. Um, so, so I think even though we're, I want to stay small, we're a niche company, um, kind of the message and... and, and um, the vision and the products that speak to that vision are very mainstream and hopefully we can just fulfill some some voids in the industry you know we're not just making ARs and it's of no interest to me like I would just assume on a skateboard company as an AR-15 company <laughs> like Daniel Defense to me if I could own that or a small skateboard company like I would own a skateboard company or a greeting card company um is that because you the the freedom to do innovation that uh, instead of kicking out large scale ARs or was is it for another reason? I think um, I like being surrounded by really brilliant people, and I like problem solving. And I didn't come from an operations background, like working in a factory or anything. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm relatively creative, and like I think I'm a good leader, not a good manager, really. Um, but I like to inspire and I'm very competitive and I want to win and I want to change things and um, we have a good culture here and I think the part of the culture I really enjoy is like the creative freedom and uh, you know where a lot of guys here are a different personality than me because you know we have a lot of mechanical engineers Um, but I think for them a byproduct of my personality and the environment that we create is we don't have a lot of bureaucracy mm-hmm. and I encourage guys to to really try things that maybe at another company or institution may be considered a failure if it doesn't sure. work out you know I view it as we're smart enough to where we identify a product or a project or a program we're going to be able to accomplish it it might not be the way we initially set out to do but we're not going to be you know, turned back by the first hurdle. Um, but I mean, I think if that goes, like building an AR to me, like I could build a, a company that competed with Daniel Defense and we made really nice ARs for a good value, which I think Daniel Defense does, but just drive me crazy. It's boring. Like, who cares? It's been done. Hmm. Um, well, that leads me to one of my questions for the end is that, uh, so say it's, we could go back 50, 60 years, and it's 1958, 
and you take 300 blackout and um, you drop it on Eugene Stoner's desk and you say, with some modern day bullets, and you say, here's something you might want to look at. Would the future of, from then, would the future of 556 be different than it is now? You know, I don't know if I know enough about that to speak intelligently about it, but I think at the time it probably wouldn't change things. Because a lot of the the original requirement was armor-piercing at distance. Yeah, armor-piercing at distance, flat shooting. They thought, like, gunfights would be engaged at different distance. longer range. Yeah, I mean, I mean, think about Vietnam, how short distance that was as far as gunfights, and it still didn't really change anything. Sure. You know, like, we didn't have different guns going into frickin' Bosnia than we had in Vietnam, really. You, you know, like, we had done the A2 and had cage on your magazine for it, assist, like, these things, but they weren't really shortening barrels and trying ammo. I, I don't think the world was open to it. A lot of it's timing, you sure. know, which I think sometimes gets conveyed as luck, but, <laughs> um, I, you know, I think it's timing, but silencers, I don't think, certainly would not have been accepted. Eugene Stoner was not in the silencers. No. Um, and, and so, no, I don't think it would have been... Better and and two then it was really you think like it was, uh, you know for a long time like the fifties until well shit even now again, it's like us against the Russians right. But really then like the AK and that was their cartridge and we, I, you know I have no idea it's an interesting question but I, I think it would have made no difference I don't think Eugene Stoner would have given a shit about it and and that's no you know dig to him I think he's one of the two most brilliant gun designers we've had but. Um, and the second would be? Well, he would be second. <laughs> I, would think, <laughs> I would think John Browning. John Browning was number one. Sure. But I think, um, it, you know, it just... I, I was lucky to be born when I was born, and that silencers were becoming relevant, and there was an ability for me to help make them more mainstream, and then we have cartridges to go with them, and, you know, us shooting... You know, fighting in Baghdad for years in, a, in an urban environment left the door open. You know, one regret that I have is that I couldn't get it pushed earlier than I did. Um, you know, I'd have loved for Bin Laden to have been shot with it. And had we been six months earlier, he probably would have been. But it was one of your silencers. It was. Yeah, we made... Which Ethan, one was it? Ethan and I. It was the 416 SD silencer um, on our blackout flash hider and... Had a rebar cutter that we designed for that mission on it and stuff, and um, yeah, that's cool. That's but, really cool. Uh, it would have been way cooler had it been a 300 blackout. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe the next Hitler will be shot with it. I don't know, <laughs> like, whatever. Um, but that stuff makes me happier than money. Like I don't know, I've been poor and I've had lots of money and. Um, you know, it seems like probably, and I don't think I'm unique in this, probably the sweet spot for me given, you know, immaturity and friends and family and, you know, just all these other things is probably me making enough money. It's probably the right thing. I've made, I make enough money to pay for my life. And if I get to pick, you know, the only reason I've said it before, I want more money is just to have a plane so I can have freedom, not because... I want to like you know make music videos me getting out of my jet or whatever but <laughs> like I want to be able to for me and Ethan to go hunt in Texas on the weekend and get back to take the kids to school Monday morning <laughs> like that's those are my goals outside from that but that's secondary it's like 
stuff that we believe in that guys are excited about that they're proud of that you know like i love when we have a break from here like thanksgiving or christmas and some of the guys tell me about the comebacks like oh i showed you know my grandparents or my cousins like this video of our new thing and they couldn't believe it it's so cool like those are the things that are cool to me like my kids i go to my kids school to pick them up or to an event and like you know i'm the rock star dad because like you know i did the honey badger and they you know all those little shit asses played on call of duty (laughs) you know like that's cool to me that's worth more you know and it makes my kids understand because you know there's a lot of pressure especially you know we're in a pretty conservative state but in a pretty liberal area for the state and you know there's a lot you know with so much of the anti-gun stuff going on now my kids will take criticism for it. it hurts their feelings sometimes um, but for them to get the recognition from their peers of that, you know, is, is a pretty cool thing. So that means more to me than money. I mean, you talked, I, I know some of your team, and um, you do have an, like an all-star cast of Yeah, of we certainly do. Set up, and um, it's obviously something to be proud of. Thank you. Yeah, you I'm the tell. most average here, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you can tell that everybody enjoys working for you and working for Q and, and actually doing something that's different. Thank you. Yeah, they should. I mean, I, I, you know, my, my fiance, who's the greatest human being I've ever known, you know, who we were talking about it yesterday and she was referencing when she was working, you know, and now, you know, like, I, you know, I'm a single dad. And so she really does the brunt of the work, helping take care of three young kids. And, and we got a life together and, you know, she had great jobs before we got together and she's like it it would be you know she comes up here she's here today she comes up here a couple times a week go to lunch with the girls or whatever um and she's like if i had that job there's no way in hell i would quit there you know like it's so great it'd be so hard to go to a normal place and you know there's a ton of value in that it makes me feel good too to know that i'm improving you know just the quality of life or in the summertime when you know like rory one of our guys here in uh so he's a full-time dad too in the summer his son's here most of the time so for us to have an arcade and stuff he can do and he can work and learn responsibility oh yeah it's awesome and i think most of the guys appreciate it because we got a lot of young guys here but most of them have worked 10 years in a place where they deal with a bunch of bullshit and regulations um so a great group of guys everybody really gets along we all hang out together and um yeah, it's created a good bond, a good team, and nobody wants to let anybody else down. So we've accomplished some stuff that I think most gun companies couldn't accomplish with much larger financial budgets than us. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. I think that uh, the environment here is probably so much different than anywhere else that you're able to do more. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, to me, do I want to drink a beer with you? Are you competitive and want to kick ass? Right. Yeah, you know, because I, like, I don't, we have unlimited vacation. We have so many things that if if we had 200 people would not work. But being small and me knowing everyone and their families um, and everybody getting along and us keeping a, a family-like environment, nobody wants to let anybody else down. Sure. And for us to get to weed people out too, you know, it's not like your family. I don't know your family, my family. Like I really adore a lot of my family but i tell you there's some man (laughs) if it were q their asses would be fired (laughs) you're not doing your part right um so that's another advantage here Um, well i really appreciate the time thank you 
300 Blackout and the company and all the stuff that you're doing here. Yeah, thank you. And, uh, yeah, we're looking forward to following up and doing some more. Oh, great. Thank you. And thank you for, for the blog, all the info. I mean, it's, it's, um, I couldn't lie and tell you that I looked at your blog if I didn't. <laughs> it's okay. But it's like, I, it, it's, I'm on it every day or every other day while I'm watching TV. Because for me, it's great just to check the gun news. Because I tell you, I don't stay on the forums and crap like that. But right. there's your blog and maybe one other that I look at. But I, I, I'm generally up to speed on everything. And I appreciate what you guys are doing. Anything we can do to help you, let us know. Thanks so much. Thank you.